0: Hey, this is Mike with G220 Radio. Join us as we start talking about going back into the London Baptist Confessions, looking at chapters 27 and 28 on the communion and saints and on the baptism and Lord's Supper. So come join us as we explore 1689.
1: Welcome to episode number five zero six five zero six. Man, we are moving along here on G two twenty Radio. Five hundred and six episodes. Man, I'm, I'm telling you, we've we've really put in some numbers. We put in some work in, in yeah. bringing out these uh, episodes, and and I'm excited because tonight. We're going to get into Chapter 27 and Chapter 28 of the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, and there's 32 chapters, so we're moving along in this. Yeah, uh, we've got a couple programs coming up in the next couple weeks. We've got uh, Phil Dutry coming on from uh, Dude Eronomy. Uh, it's a it's a website that's out there. It's a Facebook page. Uh, he's also the author of a, a, a systematic theology book, um, just a basic understanding of it for you know people to get at least their 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 appetites wet with the what theology is. And he was trying to do something like that. He's going to be on the program next week. And then following that, we're going to have a coffee talk. It's a roundtable discussion. So those are things you've got to look forward to before we can get back into any more 1689. We also need to reschedule a program with our, our good friend, brother, the original Natty P uh, who was sick a few weeks ago. And we were unable to have that program. But uh, we're definitely going to get into, it's a religion, not a relationship. You know, play on words there with the, uh, uh, the um, cliche that's often thrown out there. Um, so we got a lot to look forward to here on G220 Radio. But tonight, as I said, we are going to be discussing the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. And uh, these are short, short chapters. But as you know from our experience with the 1689, short doesn't mean we'll be done in like five, 10 minutes. Not when it comes to, <laughs> or even to an hour. theology. Or even an hour. <clears throat> we'll see how that goes. All right, so I'm going to bring on our guest here. Uh, this is Pastor Edward Ramirez. Uh, this is his first time on the program. He is the pastor of Breath of Life Community Church in San Antonio. And so, uh, Pastor Edward, thanks for being on G220 Radio to talk about the 1689 with us tonight. Why don't you go ahead and share a little bit about yourself, how you came to know the Lord with uh, with our listening audience.
2: Uh, it's good to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, it was unexpected, and I'm always uh, humbled uh, that a pastor of such a small church as my own gets an opportunity or a platform to share the gospel with a, a broader audience. So thank you for for having me um you know the how i came to know the lord uh you know it could be well the hard thing with that is and and i know a lot of people will say well i came to know the lord on this day and a lot of times that's tied up with the sinner's prayer and uh, i had that experience And the more I grow in my faith, the more I look back at that and all the failures I had shortly afterwards. So I question, was that really when I got saved or was it much later on uh, that uh, a life-changing event happened? Uh, I've been in church, Um, you know, I started going to a charismatic church because a lot Like a lot of other people, there was a woman involved and, uh, you know, she was going to church and I wanted to uh, get in her good graces. So I started going to church there. And um, so we started, I started off in a charismatic church. Um, They pointed out that I had a lot of zeal, a lot of desire to learn. But when I look back, the knowledge really wasn't there. So when I look back, I'm surprised that I was put in a position where I was overseeing the young adults, college and career age, uh, spent time as a youth pastor doing that. Uh, And this was back in the early um, 1990s. Uh, But to fast forward about uh, 11 years ago, I went through a really bad divorce. And uh, my ex-wife was a false convert and it took a long time for that to come out. So that's why I usually caution people to get to know someone really well before you get into a relationship. Um, that happening in my life really changed my direction and my focus into being centered on God. Uh, as soon as she walked out the door, I was up 36 hours and I was in church that next Sunday morning. And, um, and I went back to that same charismatic church. But the more I started posting stuff online, I was exposed to people questioning what I felt was sound doctrine with actual sound doctrine. Someone that was um, reformed in the theology, and I was explaining what I'd gone through and that I believed my wife was ex wife was a believer. He was like, dude, if she left the faith, she was never in the faith. And, um, That was a little bit of a pill to swallow, but I kept on searching the scriptures and seeing what they were telling me was true. And then I got exposed to other local pastors and they helped in my development. So shortly, within about two or three years, I was really embracing Calvinism. And uh, I knew I had a calling in my life for a long time to become a pastor, but I was waiting for the right time. And about three years ago, a friend that I know of is um, manager for an apartment complex for senior citizens. It's not a retirement home, it's just a place downtown that's a high rise and you have to be a certain age to get in there. And she asked if I would come in there and minister and I agreed and then later she told me, "I've uh, I've got a chapel inside the building. You're more than welcome to start your church here if you want, no charge no rent no electricity no nothing just go in there and minister to the people that live in that building and uh you know you can't deny that that's a movement of god and then when you find out the building is owned by the um, uh, aclu and i'm still able to go in there and preach a hard gospel with nobody interfering you know, that's God. And uh, so this happened right around August of 2018. Around that same time, I was trying to talk to someone that is now my wife. She hated me at the time because of not being used to the message I was preaching. and uh, But she questioned everything and she tested it against scripture and found that I was correct in this again while this is happening my ex-wife passed away from cancer and uh we started the church november 4th of 2018 and we've been going strong ever since i know it's kind of hard to condense all of that there but uh it's been a blessing uh and uh even now the building that we're in is under being remodeled and they're moving us from the first floor overlooking the river walk in downtown san antonio up to the 15th floor of the building they're giving us a brand new chapel no charge to us whatsoever so it's been an amazing journey so far and i'm excited to see what the lord continues to have for our church as we grow
1: yeah well, praise the Lord. Uh, the Lord is working in your life and opening up these doors and these opportunities there for you uh, in San Antonio there. Now, as we get into the 1689, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, there is much to get into, even though these passages are short. Um, like I said, we're talking about communion of the saints here in chapter 27. Uh, let me pull this over here on the screen. And it is a short chapter. There's only two paragraphs here, but there is so much here to digest. There's so much here to get into, and so we're going to go ahead and start that now. All right, here we go. Let's double click that. Chapter 27 of the Communion of Saints. I'm going to read this first paragraph, and then we are going to discuss it. All saints that are united to Jesus Christ, their head, ...by his spirit and faith, although they are not made thereby, one person with him have fellowship in his graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory, and being united to one another in love, they have communion in each other's gifts and graces, and are obliged to the performance of such duties, public and private, in an orderly way as to... Or as do conduce to their mutual good, both in the inward and outward man. Much there, much there, Mike. Why don't you go ahead and start us off?
0: Yeah, let's consider what we just finished when we talked about the church and who makes up the church and what the church is. I mean, you started all saints that are united in, to Jesus Christ. You know, when we think about the communion of saints, it's not just the people in our church, although the, the catechism doesn't neglect that need for those in our church, but it's all saints. This isn't geared towards the local church, but the universal church and how mm. we act and how we live our lives being called saints what does it mean and how does that work um with what they've already talked about in the confession with the freedom of the conscience and the church and what does it mean to be part of it and so you really start getting kind of in one sense a little bit more practical though that's probably not the best because the catechism or the confession is practical Mm -hmm. but you do have this um movement and now into how does this communion of saints live out the call that they've been called? Yeah.
1: And and it's very important. I mean, this first first sentence, this first line here, um, not even a full sentence, it doesn't end, it just keeps going, but this first line here, all saints that are, are united to Jesus Christ, their head by his spirit and faith, that it's speaking about this union we have with Christ. You know, and, I, and I posted something on Facebook earlier today that you, know, you can't have communion without union with Christ. Genuine, genuine communion with the saints can only be had when there is union with Christ. And this is why it's so vitally important. As we've seen laid out in the 1689, based the way that it's laid out, it wasn't by accident. They just didn't throw these chapters together. It is all laid out in sequence perfectly. And it starts with this here in this paragraph. We've talked about the church last week. We did three weeks on the church. Now it's this union with Christ, and that's so vitally important. Pastor Edward?
2: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And, uh, you know, we we see that union of Christ in Romans chapter 6. You know, it says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means we died to sin any longer. And then it goes on to talk about how, you know, we're crucified with Christ and believe that we will rise again through the glory of God the Father. Uh, And and that elaborates a little bit more on, on sharing in his sufferings. But there's a unity there like Mike said that goes beyond our local church it's the entire body of believer it trans it, it goes across denominations uh, of born-again believers and uh I think it's important that we realize that and I think the church needs to do a better job in putting this into action uh I know some of the things that we've tried here uh and are still working on i've gotten a little bit delayed with some of my health issues is building a bond between a lot of the reformed churches here in san antonio uh i have two other reformed churches that are close by to us uh, uh grace community church here in san antonio that was started by tim conway and uh we also have uh grace baptist church uh tim goad uh and, and these are are Fairly well known pastors. And I think if we can lock arms with them and other Reformed churches and show a unity uh, between all of us, it's going to help better serve the community and other saints around us.
1: Yeah, we definitely have to recognize that we are not an island unto them, to ourselves. Even though we do believe in the autonomy of the local church, all those who are in the new covenant. You know, this is where we would disagree. And this is where you find disagreement with our brothers over with the Westminster is all those that are in the new covenant are believers, right? And so, as you mentioned there, Pastor Edward, um, you know, our Reformed brethren, but even those who aren't Reformed that have genuinely believed in Jesus Christ, while we may say that there's some inconsistencies with their theology— Um, And we may disagree and maybe try to debate back and forth in love with them. If they've truly believed in Jesus Christ, we have communion with them as well. There is unity because our union is in Christ.
2: Absolutely. That's a great point that you made there. Uh, We're often really quick to dismiss others because they're not reformed or they're just Calvinists. We're Reformed, or um, they're not even Calvinistic. Uh, you know, some of uh, some people that started out in their walk in charismatic churches, such as I did, and I think a lot of people probably started that way. Uh, we we need to embrace them and uh, show some unity, and that's where we truly get the opportunity to share sound doctrine and discuss the inconsistencies and show where scripture would correct them in some of those areas.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, this next part here, I think, is is also, I mean, all of the, this is very important, but it says, although they are not made thereby by one person with him, right? And so as with the 1689, in other areas, we see them addressing certain issues here. We we I think we did talk about this last week in our review of the progressive Christian the view of pantheism or panantheism right uh I think it's more pantheism though here where it's well we're all one with one another we're all one in 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 this is God that is God I am God this desk that I'm sitting at is God right this this idea and when we speak about being in union with Christ, the sixty-nine, eighty-nine is here saying that does not mean we are made there by one person with him, meaning we are not then we don't become gods. Like, even like the we, you mentioned charismatics, even like the extreme charismatics, the, the word uh, health, prosperity, uh, word of faith, kind of we are little gods, you know, right. um, that idea because we are with one with with Christ. And that's where the 1689 here is speaking against that.
2: Yeah, and I think we see some of that also in some of the false denominations. I've spent a lot of time trying to minister to uh, some Latter-day Saints and they keep on going back. That's their belief is when mm-hmm. they die, they will become gods. And then they, mm-hmm. when you challenge that, they argue the fact of, well, it's capitalized, it's not capitalized. That's really not what we mean, but it is what they mean. And, mm-hmm. you know, there there are a lot of inconsistencies there that um, we're seeing bleed off into, like you said, the charismatic churches, the Joyce Meyer, the Stephen Furtick's, um, the Creflo Dollars, and because we're made in the image of Christ and he created all things after their own kind, then we're of the God kind. Mm. Which is a dangerous uh doctrine to fall into and it's easy if, because man wants to serve himself mm-hmm. and uh they want what's pleasing to him so oh man i can be a god also that's appealing to them but that's the same thing that caused lucifer to fall he wanted to be worshiped
1: yeah mike did you have anything to add there
0: <clears throat> yeah just to um think about that kind of when I first read it and was thinking a little bit of it um, this fellowship isn't kind of a collapse of who we are and it's not you know kind of saying that kind of that pantheism thought that we become like God we come become like the sun In one sense, that's true when we're sanctified and we were then glorified and we live sinlessly like the son lived sinlessly Mm -hmm. um, in his human nature. But we don't become the son in his divine nature. I think there's this um, idea that we're separate, but yet, as it would continue, we share in his grace, his sufferings, his death. Paul uses this language. Um, that he is um, filling up what was kind of lacking in Christ's death and kind of with the the proclamation of the gospel and that we do have this fellowship in which we are treated the same way that that our Savior was treated. One who knew no sin bore our sins and was sinned against by the religious leaders of the time. Put to death by Pontius Pilate, who knew he was innocent, but did nothing to stop it. And to have that that outlook, I mean, again, it kind of goes against the health, wealth um, gospel, because we're called to a gospel of suffering. That people will revile us. The world did not like the light because it wants to be in the darkness and we're now children of the light. And so having that, that we have, we're united with him, but we're not kind of collapsed within his nature that we still do have our distinct though. We share right in this fellowship with everything that he has done, the graces that and blessings that he bestows the suffering that he suffered. We will also suffer as Satan tries to rid the world of the message of the gospel. We will die like he dies, but we will also be resurrected and glorified like him. We will have fellowship in what he has experienced.
1: Yeah. And, and Mike, you started to go ahead and read into this. We have this fellowship with him uh, in his graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory, uh, and being united to one another in love. They have communion in each other's gifts and graces and are obliged to the performance of such duties, public and private in an ordinary way as do conduce in their mutual good both the inward and outward man. Now we've talked about the importance of the local church and church in general, universally and locally in the last three episodes we've done on the 1689. They weren't just like last week, but we've done them uh, within the recent thing. And Pastor, you were speaking into something on, on Facebook about this too, this importance of church. Um, we're obliged to, to these performances of we have these graces, these gifts and graces to share with one another. And what happens when we just forsake the assembling together as some do.
2: Yeah, a lot of people fall into that trap. And, you know, again, where where context is so important, Uh, I think the post that, that I put up was when two or three are gathered in my name, I'm in the midst of thee. And that is a common verse used by people that don't go to church. Well, I don't have to go to church. I can have church here. Me and my wife have fellowship together. We talk about God. That is church. And um, that's not even the context of the verse, which is further reason to prove that they need to be in church. When you look at, um, I think it's Matthew 8, 15 through 20, if I remember correctly, uh, it's talking about church discipline. The title of that section is when your brother sins against you and how church discipline should be carried out it has nothing to do with god being in your presence when two or more gathered in your name in his name i'm sorry um and we forget that god's omnipresent Mm -hmm. we don't need two people for god to show up god's with us all the time that's why i'm astonished when people say oh, I was at church, and man, I just felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent because he's part of the Godhead. He's there all the time, whether you feel it or not. He's there, and we need to acknowledge that. And when we go to church and encourage other people that, yes, God is here. He's present all the time, and encourage one another. Uh, When we stray away from that, we open the door to slide further and further away from God. uh, And it hurts more and more when he has to draw us back in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as it speaks there with the public and private, we we do see this because, again, you can't get away from this gathering together publicly. What do we do for one another within the church when somebody has a need, somebody's sick, somebody was in the hospital? Uh, you you meet these needs of these other members within the body. You can't really know what's going on in the lives of the believers within your body if you're not present with them, if you're not doing life together with them. Now, I understand in the context we don't live in the same um, cultural uh, atmosphere that we see in the first century where you're, you're so close knit. I mean... Like I live in Illyria, My church is in Brunswick. It's like 35 minutes away. And so most of the people that go to my church live out that way. So it's not like I see them every day, but there's still this idea that you are doing life with one another. So we recently had an individual in the church who's a couple, young couple who had their first baby. And so people from the church got together, and they had meals that they gave to them for two weeks, bringing meals to kind of help them in that process. These are things you do publicly to show your union with one another within the state, or the, with the communion you have with the saints because of your union with Christ, and then privately praying for one another and and doing these things not maybe publicly but in private as well. And so you see that uh, here in the uh, 1689 Chapter 27. Paragraph one, Mike. Anything you want to add before we move into uh, the next paragraph?
0: Yeah, I mean, just thinking about the grammar of this paragraph. We have unity with Christ, and also unity, unity, or we're being united to one another in love, mm. and that's the key. There, we share in their fellowship. But so does every other saint. We all have this fellowship with Christ and we are to show one another and that we're unified to one another. That's why church splits damage the reputation of the church. We should love one another. We may disagree and we can have valid disagreements. I'm not saying we don't disagree, but how do we handle those disagreements? And that, and kind of to with that point is that how do we show this love? Well, we have to have communion with each other's gifts and graces. There are things I am good at, and there are things I am not good at. And I need other brothers and sisters in my life and a regular attendance to help me, to mature me in a way. The church is a way for God. God gave us the church to sanctify us. To interact and to grow, to see our sins and to do it, and then to live that life accordingly, whether it is in public or in your own home. But we also do it for the mutual good, both for our inward man and the outward man. That we do it mm-hmm. for the for Christ, and what this means. I think when we start getting to people, it's like oh, well, I don't need to go to church. We're two to three gathered. Christ is with me. And they get these attitudes. They, in a sense, are saying, I can become a, I can become a Christian by myself. And they're giving up God's good grace of a church, of a good local biblical church that will help you to grow, to call your sins as they are. And to edify you. That's, the mutual good. And that kind of leads us a little bit into even paragraph two. You want to go ahead as and read that? explain that? Yeah. So paragraph two starts. Saints by professions are bound to maintain a holy fellowship and communion and worship of God and in performing such other spiritual services as tend to their mutual edification as also in relieving one another of outward things according to their several abilities and necessities which communion, according to the rule of the gospel, though especially to be exercised by them, and the relation wherein they stand, whether in families or churches, yet, as God offereth opportunities, is to extend to all household of faith, even all those whom in every place shall call upon the name of the Lord. Nevertheless, their communion, one with one another as saints, do not take away or infringe the title or property of each man hath in his own goods and possessions. <laughs>
1: it's a tongue twister, there. I know. Yeah. Sometimes I think about going to the uh, um, Founders Modern English 1689, but since we started this with the uh, original 1689, I just I, I can't seem to pull over that way. Um, but that's why we're doing the program, so we can kind of discuss some of this here and and I think this is very important. You know, I as this kind of, obviously this all goes together. We're talking about communion of the saints and you was talking about love in the last paragraph. And I heard recently this clip that someone shared from John Piper talking about love of, um, of other Christians, love for other Christians. And he was saying, you know, like he's heard people say, and I, I guarantee whether you agree with Piper or don't agree with Piper on some things, that's not the point. Um, but when I, what he was saying in this was, when you hear people say well i don't go to church i don't i don't like christians i don't i don't get along with christians they're too judgmental they're this or they're that my friends are unbelievers but they claim to be a christian something's wrong with that because if we have that union with christ there should be that communion with one another and why are we not what, like why are we not you know having those friendships with other believers right not that we can't know unbelievers but I mean, why do we despise other believers? And we do see this, right? I mean, we're at each other's throats, especially on social media. I'm guilty of it as well. We're all we're just kind of debating and discussing and going back and forth or you have an issue with another believer because of whatever the case may be. But like we're going to be together with these brothers and sisters for all of eternity, we have union with Christ. Now, I understand it's a fallen world. Even though we are believers, we still have this flesh that remains that we fight and wage war against. But as it says here, like saints by profession are bound to maintain a holy fellowship and communion in the worship of God and in performing such other spiritual services as tend, <clears throat> as tend to their mutual edification, as also in re- re- relieving each other in outward things according to their several abilities. And, and as it goes on here... I'm just when it gets to this end here where it speaks about doth not take away or infringe the title or property with or which each man hath in his goods and possessions. Because sometimes, and Pastor, you could probably speak to this as well. People will say, well, you know, we got to get back to being like the the church in the book of Acts. We need to sell everything and give it to, to the poor. We need to give it to those in need. It's saying, look, those goods belong to you. God has given you these things. Yes, we should be willing to edify our brothers and sisters with the gifts God's have given to us if they have need. But it's still yours. It's your personal possession. Pastor Edward.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, you hear that a lot. Uh, people get zealous and say, "You know, we need to get back to the Church of Acts. Everyone sold everything. It was everything was community property." Uh, but an interesting thing that I, I, I see here. Uh, it keeps on jumping out at me. I, at the beginning of uh, verse two here, it says saints by profession. That's anyone that professes to be a born again believer. They're bound. They're tied. Mm-hmm. It, it's not something that you can pull away from. We're bound to maintain a holy fellowship. And I think we lose sight of that uh, a lot. And like you said, you know, um, there's a lot of backbiting in the church. We uh, argue over th- things like infant baptism and not to shift uh, the topic here, but we, we get tied up in things like that and allow them to be divisive and forget that we're bound. And, um, you know, I, I'm just as guilty as anyone else. Um and, and then we try and justify it by saying well i'm sharing the truth you know there's nothing more loving than that uh, but um you know we um we need to help with spiritual services like it's saying uh, when we can help others which goes back to the first part that we were reading we should and um you know, that's something that's become very real in my life. And this is not my testimony or anything. This is not about my testimony. But due to a lot of the medical issues that I've had recently and being out of my my day job, I, we've seen an outpouring and evidence of people adhering to this here in Chapter 27 by gathering resources and and assisting us in our time of need. And, uh, you know, we have taken some of the abundance that we've gotten there and and helped others in their needs. So this is all how we help each other grow and hold each other accountable, which Mm -hmm. is what this is all about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, too, you think about this X end of X4, beginning of X5, and – um, Barnabas selling all his stuff, and he's lauded for this good thing, sold the field, helped the poor. But in Acts 5, I mean, you show it there with the inferior Nasby 95 instead of <laughs> 2020. Um, like, right. um, Joking, of course, that um, when Anas and Sapphira gave the money, they didn't have to give all what they got for their field they could have kept some back and said, here we want to help you out and here's money we do it their sin is that they said they sold this field for this amount of money, which was wrong they they lied about the money they had and I think that's important that just because we're part of the church and we're called to be generous, we're called to help one another this is what the um, confession is saying that we in holy fellowship and communion we help other brothers out not only in our own churches in our own Mm. family but also churches around the world that need our help when we have the opportunities to help and they're not just obligated to our stuff this isn't Kind of the sojourn socialist Christian socialist idea. Right. This is this is my stuff that God has blessed me with. And you know, how can I use this to be a blessing? If I were to give all my money away and my wife would give all of her money away, how am I supposed to live? How am mm-hmm. I supposed to feed my family, take care of my family? And so there's this balance of understanding that yes, God has given me things and I'm to use them to bless others. But I have that choice on how I tend to use it. And maybe it may be selfish, but there's times in which maybe I can't give up money because I need to pay hospital bills, pay for vehicles so I can maintain my job and take care of my family, which is what I'm also called to do. And I think that's where... Um, kind of this modern, let's get back to the modern church. We don't, we're not fully reading the story mm. and understanding it. And that God calls us to be generous, generous, and that's true. But he also calls us to have, we don't just do it Um, in ways that would be damaging, that right. would neglect what <clears throat> we need. I think the the confession really plays this that, yes, you need to offer spiritual services as to their mutual edification, but also that that doesn't mean that Christ- that other people automatically have your stuff and that you have to give it up for the church.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think it's important too to understand, like, obviously when we, when we see this giving and helping ultimately within a local congregation, that is your first priority of giving for the needs of others within. And then in your community as well, there's even unbelievers within your community that may have needs. And as a church, you want to be a blessing to your community, right? And then ultimately too, like you said, Mike, outside of that, other saints within the body of Christ that may have needs. You may have a church in another country that is trying to get some funds so they can have Bibles and get Bibles into the hands of other of people within their congregation. So you generously give as you can to help support these uh, other brothers and sisters. But the one thing, like you said, we got to remember is we also have to be wise. We had a, a, a lady come in a few weeks, maybe it was months ago, who my pastor said she goes around from church to church trying to see what she can get. She came in, wanted to speak to our pastor. They went in. He talked to her briefly. They came out. He he told her he wasn't gonna, he couldn't help her. He couldn't give her, you know, finances what she was looking for. She didn't even stay for the service. She left, you know. So it, those things happen. So we have to also exp- like have discernment and apply wisdom to our generosity of giving because there are some people that do just want to take, take and take. And so your God has gifted these things to you to use with discernment to be generous, but also to be wise in the way that you use these these things that God has given to you. Pastor, anything you want to add in that as well?
2: No, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I don't think that we would be doing our families justice if we gave out everything. uh, you know, for the sake of uh, helping someone and then we lose stuff in the process. I I think that completely defeats the purpose. I think, uh, I don't think that's what scripture is pointing us to do. And and yes, we do need to use wisdom because there are people out there that will try and deceive us. Uh, We make it a habit of trying to carry food in our vehicles at all times. That way when we come across someone that's homeless We have canned goods or or something that we can give them to uh, some sort of sustenance for them without risking giving money that might be used for uh, something that you probably don't want to support. You don't want to uh, be an enabler to a bad habit.
1: Right. Yeah. And that definitely is something that happens often. And you can tell, like, if somebody's really hungry, they're going to take that. They're going to have that need. Where I've had a guy one time I was downtown Cleveland sharing the gospel and a homeless man came up to me and said, hey, you got to be like Christ and give. You know, the Bible says that sometimes, you know, um, when what, what does it say? You fed me when I was hungry. You visited me in prison. And he's he's quoting this to me, right? this homeless guy. And he's like, so can you can you give me some some help? And I says, hey, I said, I've got some water in my backpack and I've got some snacks. I can give you that. He said, no, I'm trying to get some currency, some American currency. And I was like, I, I'm not going to give you that. Right. So that's why it's so important. Like you were saying, Pastor, you got to be wise because you don't want to enable, um, you know, something that's not not uh, good for them. Now, as we move into chapter 28, uh, because we will run out of time, so we're going to try to uh, get this in here. There's two paragraphs in this. They're short, uh, but again, still a lot here. We're going to be dealing with baptism and the Lord's Supper in the next couple of weeks because the next two chapters will deal with that uh, as well more in depth. Um, but this is just, these are the sacraments. We don't use sacraments as Baptist that often. It's not that it's a bad word. We just don't use it because of Roman Catholicism. Um, but we do have the ordinances. And so, uh, I don't know, uh, pastor Edward, can you see that there and read that first paragraph for us?
2: I actually got to print it printed out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just got some new glasses. So I'm still adjusting to them. It says, uh, baptism and the Lord's supper are ordinances of positive and sovereign uh, institution appointed by the Lord Jesus, the only lawgiver to be continued in his church till the end of the world. Do you want to go with the second one also?
1: No, we'll just stop there. And if you want to go ahead and give any commentary on that, that first uh, paragraph, and then we'll let Mike give a little as well. And before we move to that second one
2: yeah i think you're correct and what you're saying we we use the term ordinances because of roman catholicism and we've actually done that when we uh recite the apostles creed i've actually changed it to the universal church which means the same thing as catholic because i don't want people to assume that it's an endorsement of the roman catholic church which is not what it's speaking of uh but baptism and lord's supper these are important things. Um baptism, you know, as we know, is an act of obedience. It's something that we do. It's a an outward sign of the of the inner man being changed. Um, and I think it's important. Uh, absolutely. Um, are there instances where it doesn't or is not able to happen? Absolutely. Uh, Does that keep a person out of the realm of salvation? I don't believe
0: it does. Uh, Your thoughts? Go ahead, Mike. Sorry, I was messing with my computer a little bit. Um, Yeah, I'm not, I guess I'm not opposed to either. Um, Whether you use sacraments or ordinances, it seems to be more of a Baptist thing. Mm. which That's is, why I said it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is always kind of a weird, like, why do the Baptists all of a sudden do it? Um, well,
1: I think even in the Westminster, not to interrupt you there, but even in the Westminster, I think this is titled for this chapter, the sacraments. I, I yeah, think of the, the, of, the sacraments. of the sacraments. Yeah. And so th- there is this, okay, we're going to show this distinction that we have here. And that could be the reason too. Not that our reformed brethren who are, Presbyterian are saying that these sacraments have any salvational um, salvific uh, you know spiritual grace that's given to you uh, as you see with Roman Catholicism right it's but we do yeah. believe these are means of grace you know yes
0: yeah and so um, and even when you look at of baptism and of the Lord's Supper the the difference between the Westminster Savoy and the Baptist is the Baptist ordinance instead of sacrament and mm-hmm. um, you know, with it. And I think, you know, obviously words have meanings and and even in religious contents, they have some. And mm-hmm. um, it's always to, good to think about the language we're using. Like even as Pastor Edward would say, the difference between Catholic and universal. And one may have a pref- pref- preference towards Catholic because it says stuff, that maybe universal doesn't but also at the risk of being confused with the Holy Roman Catholic Church as they would call themselves but um, it is important to think about the languages and and they are there's a reason why they're saying ordinance instead of sacraments and to make that kind of divide that maybe the the people of Westminster and Calvin who uses sacraments also um, don't make as much of and and try to maybe be, in one sense, more reformed than um, their current counterparts.
1: Yeah. You know, and I I think what's what's very um, important here as well is these ordinances or sacraments are appointed by the Lord Jesus Christ the only lawgiver; he's the only one that gives us law, to be continued in his church until the end of the world, right? And so I I find it I find it strange that there would be churches who do not practice the Lord's Supper. You know, now I I don't want to get into discussion over should it be every week, should it be once a month. But I've been in places where they didn't administer the, the Lord's Supper for an entire year but one time, Wow. right? And I think that's that's a problem, right? And the, the, uh, what's the word? The, what I was given when I inquired about that was, well, they don't really understand the importance of the Lord's Supper, and so I'm trying to teach them and build them up to so that when we take it, They'll fully understand it, and I'm like, you don't do that. You're withholding this means of grace from those who do understand within the body, right? And and I think that's an important thing uh, to do. This now I understand baptisms as well. Uh, this shows this unity that we have when we talked about this, the universal church, that there is this. We are united with one another through Christ throughout all of church history. All of church history. And so we see when we are baptized, we are identifying with Christ. And um, now that's not going to happen every week in your church because I know my church is a small church, Pastor Edward. You said, or Edward, you said you had a small church. And so sure. you may not be baptizing new believers every single week within the church, but it is something that the church practices. I know another church in Louisville, I don't want to get myself in trouble, that I think it seems like. Once a year, they do this big baptism thing where everybody that wants to get baptized throughout that year, they come and they baptize them. See, now me personally, I don't want to get into big discussions on it. I'm not going to name the church, uh, but, um, <coughs> but, but I personally think that when someone comes and they, get, they, they become a new believer, I do think there's wisdom in sitting down with them and helping them to make sure they understand what they're doing especially in our context, because it's not, there's no persecution really here in America for to be baptized as there is in other nations, you know, and even in the first century, we see this, right? But I think we don't want to withhold those means. And as a parent, this is something I struggle with too. I have two children who are not believers who made professions at, at one time that they were believers, and the pastor of the church wanted to baptize them right away. And I'm like, I'm not so sure But then I don't want to be guilty as a parent of withholding these means of grace from my children. If they're genuinely saved, you know what I mean? It turned out in their case, they weren't, but still, I think these things are, it's appointed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything you guys want to add?
2: You bring up a good point with that. Uh, I had a, a heart attack at the age of 46 and two months later, my son was just, I was amazed. He was on fire. He was watching TVN. He was telling me Benny Hinn was wrong because that's not what it says in the Bible. And then you know, within 2 months after my heart attack, he said I want to get baptized. And uh, I agreed. I thought it was a good thing at the time, but you know, we grow in our walk and we hindsight's 2020 and it was a false conversion. Hmm. Oh, you know, he got baptized, and uh, you know, we didn't wait for the you know for fruits. We saw what we wanted to see, but we didn't wait for for there. So there needs to be a balancing, and and as far as you saying with that one pastor waiting, you know, a year, you know, it just kind of got in my mind every time I go onto Facebook and I see these huge baptisms with all these people, and you wonder do they do this so it looks like there's a great movement going on in their church and they just have a huge number of people all at once or or what the motivation is for that. I think, uh, you know, as we said earlier, we need to use wisdom and discernment when it comes to that. And, um, you know, some people, you might want to wait longer to baptize them and some there might be evidence to do it a little bit sooner than others. Um, And I think it's a case-by-case situation with that.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think you see in the early church uh, more of a hesitancy to baptize. Now in Acts, they seem to do it right away. And I don't, you know, is that narratively what is kind of moving or, you know, was there some time between when 3,000 came to the Lord? Or maybe... Being that they're apostles, they had um, maybe more divine um, knowing of what was going on with it. But you do see in the early church, a time of catechesis, a time where a person who makes a profession goes through classes before they're baptized. And I'm saying that's not not saying that's right or that's how we should do it. We should make wise decisions. But that's how other people saw it. Mm. And you kind of see that a little bit even in Presbyterian and Catholic um, ideas with confirmation. Like you're not really a member until you kind of go through this catechesis process. And what I think the kind of, when we think about how the catechism here, how um, the confession here, talks about baptism in the Lord's Supper. Um, It's an idea that, you know, of positive and sovereign institution. I think this is important because you'll have some people today. Let's say we should also include feet washing as an ordinance. Jesus said to do it in John. Obviously, it's the only place it's shown in scripture. And I think you, you see this, this idea of that it's a positive institution that is it's added to. We are to, in kind of our worship, in addition to this worship, we also practices practice the baptism in the Lord's Supper. And when we kind of get into those chapters and really dig into what those mean, we see in it, to kind of paraphrase Calvin, is the gospel displayed. And, and what it means, I think. And so when we think about baptism in the Lord's Supper and that it's instituted by Christ, he's baptized. He's the one who brings upon the new covenant at the table um, for the Lord's Supper, for the Last Supper. And that he's given to it, as it says, that we should be performing these things until he returns. Right. Baptism in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, but even in his institution works, that you are to proclaim this until he comes, until he drinks the vine mm-hmm. again anew. And just having that, this idea of a visible representation, what does it mean? What does baptism mean? What does the Lord's Supper mean? And how do we celebrate it? You know, like you, Ricky, celebrating it once a year, and that's what Jehovah Witnesses do taking it from um, the Pentecost supper and how that is. They invited me to go. It was on my birthday, so I declined. And I'm not a Jehovah's Witness. Um, my church, we do it every week. And just to have that continual reminder that, as we've kind of mentioned, that this is a table of fellowship, of communion with all of us here, and then also all the other churches who practice the same ordinances. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. All right. So now as we move to this final paragraph, now this is controversial, but I'm a 1689 guy. I, I hold to the 1689. So I affirm this here. Um, these holy appointments are to be administered by those only who are qualified and thereunto called according to the commission of Christ. Now I I think it's clear there, but we've seen this. I think we've seen this, you know, uh, where Mike we did a show and we talked about partaking of the Lord's supper and people were doing it at home you know during the covid <clears throat> i don't i think you with, withhold in that situation in those kind of circumstances where you're unable we get it you know those are those are the the extreme cir- circumstances that you have no control over but i don't think that any layman is just to be going and baptizing other people that come to Christ you give them the gospel, you get them into a local church, and those who are qualified, who have been called by God, and in those positions are then able to administer these ordinances. I don't know if you guys disagree or agree, but you know that's, that's what the 1689 is saying right here.
0: <clears throat> I
2: agree 100%. At one point,
0: I disagreed with it.
1: Well, I'm glad you came into line.
0: <laughs> no, I just— Just kidding. Um, you know, you think about, so Pastor Edward mentioned um, Matthew 18 and church discipline. You take Matthew 16. Along with Matthew 28, you see to have this this role in which the apostles are given the keys to the church. They're the ones mm-hmm. who are binding and loosing, and those who are a part and not part of the church now, as we've—I think we've talked about it that the language there is passive. And so it's not really their authority. There's authority that is given to them by God. God's ultimately the one who is saying Mm -hmm. who is bound and who is loose. And you see it worked out in Acts. It's the apostles who are coming together and saying, or are on the initial movement of it. First with Peter, as he goes to the Jews first, then the Gentiles and the kind of the story has it, how it goes. And then picking up on Paul as he takes it to the ends of the earth. And you just see this kind of this idea of authority that comes with it. And I think that's that's what it is that those who are pastors, in a sense, follow the apostolic authority. They have it that lay members just don't. They've mm. been called by the laying of hands, which is a um a chapter that we'll get into. And there is this sense of authority of being passed down that lends to itself that it's just more than, well, I can baptize you because I'm a Christian. And that God has orchestrated these authorities for the protection. What if I misjudge a guy's conduct as a guy and just baptize him? Well, if he comes into the local church and you have a plurality of elders, they can examine him. They can ask the right questions because hopefully they're more returned to faith and they know what to look for. And there is a reasonableness of having someone in the authority of the church called by the church to examine these people and then to execute the office in which they've been given. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And, and I know what some of the objections would be in that is even in them coming into the church and being um, examined, so to speak by elders within a congregation, you're still going to have false converts slide by. Mm -hmm. It's going to happen. But again, We still have to recognize that God institutes these things, and everything—like, we do evangelism here. We promote evangelism here at G220 Ministries and radio program. Um, We're not nomads. We we don't just go out void of the local church. We preach the gospel, and our desire is to get those people connected into a local church, a good local church in their area. And if they're close to us, we want to get them into our own local church so that these ordinances can be administered to them, so that the means of grace can be administered to them, so that they can be properly discipled, right? Because God works through the local church. He doesn't work outside of that, um, you know? And so this is the means by which God disciples the nations through his local churches, through the, the universal church locally in areas, right? And so that's why I think this is important as well, because we've we've seen it um, through the COVID and through just, just in general. Um, anybody baptizing anybody, anybody administering the Lord's Supper. Um, and that even in itself, when you think of the Lord's Supper, we will talk about it in a couple weeks, but uh, even thinking about that, it says some of these people were taking this on an unworthy manner. So mm-hmm. what about those administering it to these people? Because again, you're not hedging it. You're not protecting
0: that ordinance that was given to the church. Yeah. I would even say too, is that as <clears throat> pastors... When they're doing this they can't fully know the person's heart right and there has to be i mean obviously it's sad and not to take that away but to think i mean presbyterians baptize false converts all the time those even in their own view just for it of children who leave the faith who don't kind of fulfill the promise that they have. They've baptized them, them, saying they're part of the covenant. Now, obviously it looks worse for Baptists because we're actually saying they're making the profession and there's a lot more to it. And I understand that. Mm-hmm. But in the end, as Paul Washer would say, how do you, how do you know? Unless the Holy spirit is telling you something you don't know, you are called by to look at the fruit that they have. And, which is why you have church discipline, because if they fail to continue the fruit, right. you're called to ex- ex- exercise church discipline. Yeah. Um, and so you have that. I mean, God's not kind of making this sum to fly. He's given us the tools to properly evaluate and knowing that we live in a sinful world.
1: Yeah. All right, Pastor Edward, any, any things you would want to add to that? And any last words as we, we wrap up this program here tonight?
2: Uh, I think we've, y'all have done an excellent job, uh, covering everything. This is a great discussion. I was happy to be a part of it. So thank you for the invite and, uh, you know, we'll continue to, uh, watch the upcoming podcasts and stuff. Uh, for some reason, it didn't come up on my feed, uh, the past ones, but I'm definitely going to keep an eye out from now on. Thank you. Well,
1: yeah, well, we're glad to have you with us, and uh, we will definitely be praying for you and your congregation there in San Antonio. Uh, we thank you as you continue to reform as we are. What, what's the uh, Latin phrase where we're continuously reforming, Mike?
0: Semperreformanda. Refer- Semper refer- yeah. <laughs> right? Yes. Put you on the spot there, buddy. <laughs> it's late and you're putting me on the spot. Like yeah, you know, it's not gonna go well.
2: But yeah. It's later for are both y'all east coast.
0: Yeah.
1: Yes, we are. And you're okay. in Texas, so you got an hour, I believe, uh yeah. earlier. So
2: yeah, we're but just um, a little after nine o'clock.
1: Yeah. But hey, that's been uh let me get this off the screen here now. That's been G two twenty radio for tonight. Uh Pastor Edward again, thank you for coming on. Next week we will have Phil Dutry from Deuteronomy. I think it's a pretty good play on Deuteronomy, but it's uh, they've got a Facebook page. You can check them out. They're not Calvinistic, but he's still coming on the program. Uh, they put that out there just recently today or the other day, And um, but I knew that going into it. So uh, it'll be good having him on the program. We can talk to him and uh, find out about Deuteronomy as well as the book that he wrote on systematic theology. It's just a short little primer for uh, theology to get people involved and understand the importance of theology and so we'll we'll talk to him next week about that uh and then followed by our coffee talk round table discussion six people total and we'll spin a wheel and we've got some topics to talk about i don't even know where everybody on that show is at on these things so that should be interesting so i did tune pick in to some that obscure
0: one. topics to yes, uh, you talk did. about
1: yeah topics Air i'm very interesting yeah yeah but that's G two twenty radio for tonight. I hope you enjoyed the program. Until next time, God bless and good night. All right, You know, I put that in for the outro to play automatically when.